Today's daf is dafnun tes amel aluf, continuation of the Gemara dafnun ches amel beis. And we're talking about all the, whole, the last few pages, and actually the next few blocks, we'll be talking about the obligations between the husband and the wife, the husband to the wife, and the wife to the husband. And we've learned about the earnings of a wife that um, they go to the husband, and and and, uh, and as a result of that, he has to provide for her. Right? That's how Shmuel learns. And um, and we therefore had an argument the Gemara a couple of days ago, whether actually yesterday, whether a wife can say to the husband, Labhuna says, "Don't provide for me; I'll take care of myself." Shlokia says she cannot do that, and Labhuna says uh, you can. So in the Mishnah we had a discussion: if the husband decides to consecrate to make hegdish, the earnings of his wife. Now later on in the Mishnah we're going to learn that the wife has to earn. Um, she, she's, I guess, she has to invest and put into the marriage the, the equivalent of making together some wool, the value or the weight of five slime. And, and that's what she owes to him. So if he decides to make that hegdish, he can. Uh, so he makes, he makes that hegdish. Um, uh, what do you call it? She can continue eating. And the Mishnah says it doesn't become hegdish. And we explain is talking about a case where she can say to the husband, don't provide for me. And therefore he has no rights over it. Therefore he cannot consecrate it. What about in the second half of the Mishnah talks about a case where it's moisa. She made an excess of those, uh, of the, of the minimum that she has to make. Rameya says it does become hegdish. And Abiyachim al says it does not become hegdish. The extra does not become hegdish. So we wanted to understand what's going on over here. So we had an argument between Rav Shmuel on one hand, and we had Adab Rav on the other hand. Rav Shmuel said that when does it become Kaddish? According to Rameir, you can make it hegdish, but when? Only after, uh, uh, only after uh, she passed away. So then he inherits all of her, uh, her belongings. <laughs> So that's when it becomes Kaddish. And Abad Barabbas said, no, even while she's alive, he has the right to make it Hegdish. So we're trying to understand the scenario here, why um, one of the um, one of them says, Rabbi Shmuel says he cannot make it Hegdish while she's alive, and Abad Barabbas says he can. And we basically, we said that in the place, the way we understood initially, in the place of the earnings, of the fact that he provides for her, he gets all the earnings. He gives her a stipend, an extra stipend, so that she can spend and do whatever she wants with it. And for that, he gets her excess. So we said that we're talking about a case here where, um, where we got one of them and we didn't, uh, he, he's providing for her, but he's not giving her that excess, that excess amount. And therefore, we understand Rabbi Shmuel very well. He's providing for her, so the earnings, you know, he has a right over, but he is not giving her the excess. He has no right over her. He's not, he has no, he has no right over her excess. He's, he's not giving the stipend. He has no right over that. And therefore, uh, while she's alive, he cannot consecrate it. But once she passes away, then everything that she, that excess becomes consecrated. However, Rabbi Adabarab disagreed. He held that. The, um, the excess that she makes is in place of the food that he provides for her. And since the fact is that he is providing food for her, so therefore he has a right over the excess. And if he makes it Kodesh, it becomes Kodesh straight away. And then the Gemara explains, so why are they arguing? Why does Ravish will say that the excess is, is tied to the 
extra stipend that he gives her. And why does Adam or Abba say that the excess is tied to the food? And we explained that that extra, uh, what do you call it? That um, that which is most common is tagged to that which is most common. He has to provide food. Everybody has to provide food for their wife. So that's the most common. And she earns the bare minimum. That's also the most common. So they two are tagged together. That's an average rule. The excess is not so the extra spending money is not so common. And therefore, the fact that she earns more than what she's a bare minimum is also not so common. Therefore, that makes sense. However, Abraham says no. Anything which has a fixed amount is tagged to a fixed amount. The excess, the, the extra stipend that he pays is tag is has a fixed amount, a, a more kesef. And the earnings that she has to, that she's obligating her husband also has a fixed amount. That the, the weight of five slime. On the other hand, the amount of food that he gives her doesn't really have a fixed amount. Food fluctuates in price all the time, and 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 the excess of earnings, um, and 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 so on and so forth, they're not tied together. Therefore, they're tied together. That's what we basically said. <clears throat> so, so um, so so um, so says that um, the amount of food, um, what do you call it? The amount of food is tied with her excess. Because how much does she make excess? Who knows? There's no fixed amount, and therefore that's what's tagged together. Okay, so that's what we're up to up to May survey, about eight lines on the top of the page, and we're gonna um, gonna go back to Bryce that we learned before. Mason, I'll ask you a question. It says, it says in the Bryce, Tiknu Mezainas, they provide, they made a special institution that he should provide for his wife, Tachas Maisideh, because her earnings go to him. So it's clear that the, 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 the food that he provides for her is tagged to the earnings that she makes. And, and therefore, as a result of that, we can only conclude the excess that she earns is because it's tied to the, the, the stipend, the extra stipend that he gives her, which is exactly like Rabbi Shmuel said. Says the Gemara, the other opinion of Adam Rabba says the word missing here. Say that the mezainas that he provides for her is connected to the excess of her earnings. Okay, well, just the... Uh, uh, redefine them the, the, the price. Toshma, come in here. It says, Im einu noisim, it says like this, Im if he does not give her that extra stipend that she can spend it on anything she wants for her own personal um, needs, then it says clearly that her earnings belong to her. So we see from this place that the earnings is tagged to the stipend. Like Rabbi Adda Barava, not like Rabbi Shmuel that says that the earnings are tagged to the zainas that he provides for her. Says the Gemara again, Ema, we're going to have to revise and say, say that if he doesn't give her the stipend and her excess, the excess amounts that she makes belongs to her. Add the word Moisa. So the Gemara, how can you even say that? How can you add a word here? But let's look at the context. It spells it out later on there and says, What is the provision? What does he have to make for him? It seems like it's continuing to explain because it says in the beginning, if he doesn't give her the stipend, then her earnings are hers. And then the Mishnah says, you know, What is And it sounds like the Mishnah is continuing to explain what is. So don't add, the, how can you add the word when we're actually explaining it says, What is the Maisiyadah? She has to make the weight of five sloyim. Shasi, which is the, 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 the vertical thread, because that's much harder to make. Be Yehuda and Yehuda. In, in the area, the region of Yehuda, that's what it is. The weight of five slime. That's the standard. 
So, you, so a question, so it's clear we're talking about Maisi, the earnings, and it says if he doesn't give her the stipend, he doesn't get her earnings. So it's clear the two are tagged together. Says the Gemara Hachikam. This is how you should understand the mission. No, it, uh, what's the, 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 the stipend is tagged to the excess. But how do we know what is considered excess? So we need to know, first of all, what is considered her obligation, and then we can determine what is excess. And that's what the mission is saying. What are the what are the terms of her obligation that she has to pass on? The lay that's therefore we can know Then we can know what the excess is. Mishkol, and we answer Mishkol Yehuda, the weight of five shloim of the of the vertical one in Yehuda, which is the equivalent of the of the in Galil of the weight of ten slain. So bottom line is, we can modify the Mishnah, we can understand the Mishnah that when it tags, when it says, if you refuse to give a stipend, what does, what don't you earn, what don't you get anymore? The excess, even though the Mishnah talks about the actual earnings, because that's how we can determine what the excess is. Amar Shmuel. So Shmuel goes back and says, the halacha asandu. In our, in our Mishnah, Rameir says that if he decides to consecrate the excess, it becomes Kedush. Rabbi Yechina Sandal says it does not. You cannot consecrate the excess because it's not here yet. It's not Bola Olam. And therefore, the halach is like Rabbi Yechina Sandal. So we're understanding because it's a Dover Shaloi Bola Olam. It's something that has not existed yet. It's not here. The excess is extra. It's not here. And therefore, uh, he cannot consecrate a Dover Shaloi Bola Olam. Says the Gemara, so you're telling me the halacha of Yechonasanda, which means that you paskin, that you cannot make, you cannot consecrate something which is not in existence. So you might ask a question, yeah. Because <clears throat> remember, Shmuel, Rav and Shmuel both said that, uh, <clears throat> that uh, what do you call it? That um, when Rav Meir says it huh? becomes holy, he was not talking about today. He was not talking about while they were alive. While she's alive, he was talking about only because he didn't give the stipend, the husband doesn't own it yet. It's only about after she died. So, in other words, we're talking about something that is not in existence. If she died, we're after she died. So, Dover Shaloi Bola Oilam, it's not in existence. And Abiechana Sandler therefore says that it does not become consecrated. And then, obviously, the crux of their argument is can you sanctify something that is not here yet? According to Rameh, yes, you can, because nobody's talking about while she's alive. Because that excess, she, you, you have no rights to because you're not giving her the stipend. You're talking about after she dies and the husband inherits her. So everything that he talked about previously will now become sanctified. <laughs> all, all the earnings, she's, excess earnings she still has. So, and Rabbi Yechon says it does not become sanctified, which means that Shmuel rules that something which is not in existence, you cannot consecrate. You can only consecrate something, make something holy that's in front of you or that's here, present. Not if it's not here. And we have a problem with that. From another Shmuel, another ruling for Shmuel, where it seems to say that you can sanctify something that is not in existence. And what's that? Says the Gemara, did Shmuel actually say that? But now we learned elsewhere, it says, if a woman says to her husband, Koinim is an expression of saying that this should become forbidden to you to have any pleasure from, just like a carbon. So if he says there, Koinim Shani Oisil I make a vow that you should not have any benefit from anything that I make, that I produce. It should be forbidden to you in your mouth. So the, the first opinion says, 
that she, he, you don't even have to know because generally the husband has a 24 hour period or the, the entire day to annul it. She doesn't have to, he doesn't have to know it because she had no right to make the vow in the first place. And why is that? Because everything she earns belongs to the husband, the, the, the minimum. So how can she make a vow that you won't have any benefit? It's not hers to make the vow. That's opinion number one. Opinion number two, Rabbi Kiva says, Yafir. Rabbi Kiva says, no, the husband has to annul the vow. Why is that? Because Shema Tadit Olav Yeser Minalala. He only is entitled to the earnings we said before, the weight of five slime in Yehuda. But what happens if she earns, if she does more than that? That Hadafa, and that Hadafa wasn't planned, it just so happened. And if it just so happened, the husband doesn't really have any rights to it. And therefore, if he doesn't annul that vow, it will become forbidden to the husband. <clears throat> Um, and, and, and she has the right to make it, to sanctify it. So if he doesn't want it to happen, he better uh, annul the vow straight away. That Benuri says that no, that I believe, Benuri says that, that the husband has to know the vow, not only because perhaps she has some ex excess, but even from the earnings itself. And why is that? Why have to worry about the earnings itself? The earnings itself, she has no right to make a vow, but because Shema perhaps what happens if you divorce her? Then all the vows that she made will come into play. And for Tehei Asura Lachza, true, right now the vow had no meaning, but the vow still is there. It will come into force. And what happens then is you can never remarry her because how can you remarry her? It's impossible. We're not going to allow you to remarry her because of these vows where she said, I don't want to have any benefit from me. We're scared that it's impossible for two people living in the same house and not to have benefit from each other. So we're not going to allow him to remarry her. So to avoid that uh, problem, we, we advise, strongly advise him that he should know the vow right now. So the mother, the mother, is that is that is it is that the the the, the rule that in in Hafaris Nadarim that's only that ha, ha, a husband or a father what only as long as she's in their house the 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 Hafara lasts that is because the reason why the vow is not an applicable vow from the Torah it should have been a good vow it's only because the rabbis came in and said no that we want that only earnings should go to the husband so therefore the vow didn't disappear. Because the trader said it's a valid vow. So the vow doesn't disappear in this case. It's there. It's like it's riding there uh, in, in the background. The moment that it's able to, um, to uh, I guess, become effective, it does. So the moment that they're divorced, the vow is still there. She never repealed that vow. So therefore, the vow is still there. So as soon as, as, soon as it's, it's, it's able to um, become effective, it does. And once she it becomes effective, it's a valid vow, then he can never remarry her. And we want to remove that, that uh, impediment. So therefore we suggest, so why are we telling him to annul the vow? Not because it has any effect right now, because one day in the future, it might have effect, which is called a dover shaloi bala elam. And to avoid that, therefore we know it now. So, um, so no, but she's making a vow, which is impossible to take place right now. It'll take place in the future, and that can happen, and it'll become Kaidish. And what's the problem with that? So there's three opinions. That's only Yechem and Nuri. The problem is, which means that he holds that she can sanctify something which will not take effect today, but in the future. So we see that you can sanctify a Dover How do you reconcile that? Din with the Shmuel, who just said that on our mission, that, um, that the excess does not, the husband made the excess Kaidish, does not become Kaidish because it's Dover It's only after she passes away. 
So how can you reconcile these two shmuels? In one place it says, you, in Amish it says, you cannot sanctify something in the future because it's not present. And, and in this place, by it comes to the Dorim, she can sanctify, she can uh, sanctify her earnings, even though it doesn't come into play until after she's divorced. And you're saying that then Shmuel says, yes, then it's sanctified. How's it work? So the Gemara says, not a simple answer. Gemara's going to go now and try to give a number of answers. First, the Gemara says, well, simple, I can say, that even though Shmuel says, when he says that, he meant only the outcome of the Nuri, but not for the reason that he said. What he actually meant was the reason why we, we what Rabbi Nuri said, we want you to annul the vow. That part is right, annul the vow. But not because of the reason Rabbi Nuri said, because in the future, um, you know, it'll, it, will, it will become activated. No, you cannot activate. But you know why we want you to annul the vow now? Because what happens when you make extra money and the extra earnings will become sanctified because you have no rights over it. So it will become sanctified. So therefore, it's going to be all kind of problem. You have to start working out what you could have pleasure. You can't. It's very difficult. So therefore, annul the vow. That's what the, that's what the Gemara wants to answer. Says the Gemara, I don't see if that's, if that's what Shmuel is trying to say, that I don't mean follow Rabbi exactly what he said, only his outcome, but not for his reasoning, then you have a few questions. Well, Lema, he should have just said, but only, and then add the reason, because, because we're worried about the excess, for example. Or say, Inami say, Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Echemenuri both agree that the husband should annul it for different reasons. Rabbi Kiva said because of the excess, Rabbi Echemenuri said because it gets get divorced. The bottom line is we don't follow Tanakam who says, don't worry about it. It's not a valid vow. So just say, Ein halacha ke Tanakam. Halacha is not like Tanakam. Or, Inami or, halacha ke Rabbi Kiva. Just say it straight out. In fact, what you're really saying is that Shmuel rules like Rabbi Akiva. So just say that. So we're back to our question. Why in our Mishnah, when it comes to the husband, do we say that no, that Yechusan was right? You cannot be mocked And why, when it comes to the Nadarim, by Yafar, there you say that she could be mocked for after the time that she's divorced. What's going on here? Now, El said there's a difference between the two. In this case of the Nether, is talking about a case of Kainim, where she says, This is also to my husband. You know, in the case of the Mishnah, it's talking about a general case of Hegdish. This belongs to the Beis HaMikdush. It's forbidden for everybody. In the case of this woman, she's saying to your husband, only to you it's forbidden. Koinim, to you, I want it to be like a carbon. I don't want you. I will benefit from it, not you. In our Mishnah, it's talking about the husband said, everything that you earn will become, or excess will become Hegdish. So it's Hegdish for everybody, for the husband, for the wife, for everybody. Here we're talking about another kind of saying, I don't want you, my husband, to have any benefit from my earnings. And but but I can have benefit. That's a whole different story. And therefore, that uh, and and um, and because that's a whole different story, it needs it needs to in order to become effective, it doesn't need as many ingredients as a case of Hegdis, which is ubiquitous, which is for everybody. And therefore, so this says of Yasef. There's two concepts. We have a concept called a Dover Shalai Bala something which is not yet in existence. We have another concept which is called Aina Bishusai. It's not in my control. And the law is we're going to learn about Bakama in the seventh parak that Rabbi says that a person cannot ish kiyakdish as basa. You can only make Hegdish your own house. So the Gemara learns out. Ma Besa Bishusai, Av Hegdish Bishusai. In order to make to sanctify something, 
I have to be in control. It has to be in my domain. If it's in somebody else's domain, I cannot make, if a guy stole something, I cannot make it hegdish because I'm not, it's not in my control. Rabbi Yisif is in the common, is going to equate the two. Just like you, you cannot make hegdish something which is not in your control, so too you cannot make hegdish something which is not in existence. It's the same logic because it's not here. Where is the hegdish going to, to, to be, to land on? Where is it going to go? What's it going to coincide with? There's nothing here. Okay, so therefore what? Shiny kumis. Kumis is different. Kumis is different than a normal case of hegish. If I make something hegish for the whole world, if I don't have control, I can't do it. So if, if it's not in existence, I can't do it. But when it comes to kumis, even when I have no control, I can do it. For example, I can say to you that your fruits are forbidden to me. Now, do I have any control over your fruits? No. But when it comes to a nether, a vow, I can say I'm going to proscribe your fruits to me. Right. I'm, I'm, so therefore, I have the capacity when it comes to a nether to make it effective, even if it's not in my domain. So, too, I have the capacity to make a nether if it's not in existence. Because equates the two. And therefore, that's what the case over here with the woman is. You're asking a question from a nether from Kumus. Kumus means like it's like a carbon. Shiny Kumus. Kumus is different. We'll have the first mission of Durham, the origin of the word Kumis. The word is different. I cannot go and make your fruits hegdish. Who am I to make your fruits hegdish? But I could say that your fruits are forbidden to me. I'm making a vow that your fruits are forbidden to me. So since, so since I can make a vow on something which is not in my control, so so too, so too I can make a vow that you're that um, something which is not in existence to become holy. So the woman can say that those earnings that I have, the after I get divorced, should become kaidish and it's effective. It's effective then, even though because I'm making another. says I don't understand what you're talking about. You're comparing, if I go and I say your fruits are forbidden to me, you're comparing that to a case where um, a, a woman is saying that the earnings I'll have after I get divorced should, uh, should uh, what do you call it? should become hegdish. How can you get paid the two? Why not? You know why I have the right to say, to interdict your fruits to me? You know why? Because since I have the right to say that my fruits are forbidden to you, and that everyone agrees I can do, so therefore, give me the, since I can make a, a, a relationship between you and me, my fruits are forbidden to you, so too, by the same token, I can say that your fruits are forbidden to me. Makes sense. I can forbid my fruits to you. So therefore, uh, um, uh, what do you call? It? Uh, sorry, she can other Since I can, um, I can answer your fruits on me because I can answer my fruits on you. Okay, so that that makes actual sense. Makes sense. However, you want to say is and therefore you want to conclude that I have the right to forbid something which does not exist, that the woman can say that this, even though it's not in existence, should be forbidden to you. What's the connection? Over there, when it comes to a net that I say, my fruits are forbidden to you, so therefore your fruits are, are forbidden to me. It makes sense. However, in this case over here, it's totally different. <clears throat> um, because this is not in existence at all. If the object is not in existence, how can she make a net on something which is totally non-existence? No, why not? Because 
I didn't earn it yet. And, 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 it is, and, it, and nor is it in existence. The earnings that I'm going to produce later is, is nothing's here. What, what, what am I talking about? Your fruits at least are here. So the Gemara, she can ain't other, whatever. Yes, it does. She can ain't. In fact, you know what I would compare it to, so the Baya? The following case. Can I go ahead and forbid your fruits to yourself? Of course not. Or can I forbid your fruits to somebody else? Of course not. And that's what this is compared to because her earnings in the future is not in existence. My earnings are not in existence. There's nothing here. She says here, um, she came. I'll compare it to you cannot forbid the fruits of your friend on your friend. And that's what this is comparable to when a woman says, and therefore my question, the question goes back. Um, and and the, 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 the kunmas will be activated in the future. And the question is, how can Shmuel say that? Shmuel holds that you cannot activate, sanctify something in the future, and yet by this, the woman he can, and there's nothing in existence. He cannot compare it to something which is not in your domain. Here it's totally non-existent. The earnings in the future, there's nothing to talk about. <clears throat> so I think more further, to go back to our original question, what's the difference between our Mishnah, where Shmuel says that I hold like Rabbi Eichanan Hassanah, that you cannot sanctify something which doesn't exist, and the case of the woman, where she sanctifies her, uh, she sanctifies her earnings, and and Rabbi Benuri says, ah, but in the future when she'll be a, a, a divorced woman, she will earn the money, it'll be her own, and then the hegdish will be chal. How? But right now there's nothing here. So the more continues. So the next generation came along. Ella, but comes along Rabbi which is a biased student, Rabbi and he said, I'll give you a better answer. But I met it. She actually said. She says that my hand should become sanctified to its creator, to Hegdish, to Hashem. And therefore, there is, even though the, the earnings itself hasn't happened yet, that will be in the future, but the, the, that which will produce the earnings, which is my hands, is already in existence. And therefore, that's different than in, in our Mishnah here. And therefore, um, in, in, over here, Shmuel can say, I hold like Rabbi Yechon and Benuri, that it will become Kaidish in the future, because there is something here at least. Um, so, okay, she wasn't divorced yet. That part is true. She's not divorced yet. So that didn't happen yet. But what did happen is her hands, that which is going to create all this, is already here. It's partially here. <coughs> part of it is here, part of it is not here. Therefore, Rabbi Yechon says it, it is effective, it works. How can you make Kaidish a part of your body? You can. You can say that the, the Maisei Yodai, that's the part. The, the, there's a, um, the, the Gemara in Hamafkin we're going to learn that even though you're by a pay by, when we say those who hold, uh, those, um, Rabbi Huna, holds that you, you cannot make something holy that doesn't exist, but a tree that will bear fruits, you can say that the fruit should become holy, even though the fruits haven't grown yet. Why not? Because the tree is already in existence. And because the tree is already in existence and it's going to produce the fruit, it, there's somewhere where this uh, sanctity can, can actually take effect. Same thing, the hands. The hands is that which is going to produce whatever it is in the future. And the hands are in existence. So therefore, it is somewhere where, I guess, the hegdish or that vow has where it can, it can attach itself to. And that's what it does. Says the Gemara, um, that's what the Rabbi wants to ask. Why this case is different. The Yadayim, in this case here, he, he said that the hands should become holy. And the hands are here. 
Um, not like in our Mishnah where the husband just said that her earnings should become holy and the earnings are not here yet. What, 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 wouldn't that mean? If she said, if she, what if you're saying, it's uh, uh, then Sorry? if she's saying, she uh, said, my hand should become right. Right, right. So that means anything that is made with the hands will be will be no, no, no. She meant the earnings. She translates it means the earnings. My hands will produce the earnings. Any earnings whatsoever. Yeah. It was work, whatever it is. Yeah. That's what she means. Yeah. <clears throat> um uh, what are we saying about further? We're still not happy. Um you think that's good enough? As long the lines that you're asking. Um, but right now, whatever her earnings are belong to her husband. How can the vow, how can the vow how? So the Amra, she actually said, she said, when I will be divorced and I have control over my earnings, I want I want that you all become Kaidish. Says the Gemara. Um, it still doesn't make it still called the Loibala Ilam. But the fact is, does she have control to be divorced? Not at all. It's up to the husband to divorce her. So she has no control. So at the moment, even if she wanted to make her, her earnings Kaidish, it wouldn't be because it's not hers to make Kaidish. So how can the Neda then chal in the future? If she wanted to make her earnings today holy, it would not happen because she has no control of it. Will it come make Kaddish, but in the future will be Kaddish? The question goes back. It's a loy bala oilam, as Shmuel said before. That doesn't work. Says your mother, um, sorry, Alamaloy, I'll show you a precedent. Yes, that if even though today I have no control, but if I have, but if I'm saying, talking about the future, it can happen. For example, a guy uh, says to somebody else, I'm about to sell you a field, but I want you to, eventually I'm going to buy back for you, and when I buy back for you in the future, I want it at that moment, at that juncture, it should become holy. And the law is, it will become holy, even though right now it's not by me, You, you know, I'm selling it to you, so I don't really have, I cannot make it now holy because I'm selling it to you. And nevertheless, if I said when I buy it back, it should come holy, it will become. Same as a woman. Even though right now she cannot sanctify it because her handiwork belongs to her husband, but she's saying when I get divorced, anything that I did will become holy. I'll do become holy. Why shouldn't it be effective? Says the mother, what are you talking about? How can you compare the case of the woman to the case of selling a field? Why? Uh, right now it's his. He doesn't have to sell it to him. He's selling a field to somebody. If instead of selling the field, he decides to um, to give it to Hagdish, she can do that. Okay, so because at the moment he has that option of making it holy and he delays it, he says, look, I'm going to sell it to you, but when I purchase it, repurchase it, it's going to become holy. Makes sense. But in the case of the woman, while she's she's really married, and while she's making that vow, she, she cannot, at this moment, if she wanted to donate it to Hegdish this moment, she couldn't, because she has no rights over those earnings. So therefore, how can it be effective in the future? If it's not effective today, how can she make it effective in the future? It's completely libel. The case of Sally has the right to, say, to make it hate right now. She has no control of divorcing herself. She has no control of the situation. So right now, she couldn't make it hate if she wanted to. All the Roshanim ask, of course, she could have made it hate. If she tells her husband, I don't want you to provide for me, so I therefore earn whatever I earn is mine, and then she can give it to Hegdish. 
So Tosha's answer is a simple answer. We're trying to accommodate all the opinions. Remember, Rishlokish before said that no, it does not become uh, th that the woman has no right to tell that to the husband. So according to Rishlokish, she has no option whatsoever at this moment. So the Gemara, holy damn, it's not compared. Ella, I'll tell you, I'll try to give another answer. I'll compare it to the following. In fact, Gemara says over here, if you want to compare it to a case of a sale, I'll tell you what we should compare it to. A person says to a friend, a person says to a friend, that field which I sold you last year, same thing with the woman, she's already married. Well, buy it back, it should become holy. The light culture, the law there is also. Doesn't it become Kaidish? It does. Now, right now, he has no control over it whatsoever. He already sold it, and yet he can say today, when, it, when I buy it back, it should become Kaidish. The same thing with the woman. Right now she's married. She has no control. She cannot get out of the marriage right now on her own. She needs a husband to give her the get. So she has no control over it. And yet, um, the, and therefore the law should be that she could make a Kaidish for afterwards. She could do that. Because their hands are still in existence. Or <coughs> masculine, or papa said, papa, I'm still not satisfied of this compa uh, comparison. Me, dummy, how can you compare? In the case of the field, Hossam Bufa Upedis Beyonder de Lekech. Over there, um, <clears throat> um, um, what do you call it? Uh, in the case of, the, uh, of you sold a field, um, this, this is all part of the question. In the case of, of you sold a field, everything now is in the buyer's hand. Um, the, the goof is in the buyer's hand, the pair is in the hand. Hoch over here, goofa, the who over here, she, the hands are hers. It's the earnings that come from the hands that belong to the husband. So, Holodami, if you want to really compare the, our case of the woman, I will compare it to something else. Someone says to his friend, this field, this field that I gave you as a mashkin, I gave you as a pledge for a loan that I had. So, when I will buy it back from you, take Kaddish. I when I when sorry when I when I redeem it for you I'll pay you back the loan whatever the loan is, um, and it it becomes it becomes shubham kaddish and the law is the kacha, it will become kaddish and that's the same thing over here, uh, same thing over here. Now what? And therefore she has the right to make it kaddish because um, in this case of a mask and a pledge. It's not like a sale where it completely belongs to the other person. No, the mashkin still belongs to me. I have the option of paying money and getting it back. So it still belongs to the owner of the property, even though we gave it as a pledge, security to somebody else. So the same to the woman. The woman over here, the hands are still hers, even though all the earnings go to the husband. And therefore, she's capable of making a vow today, which will not take effect until later, after she gets divorced. But it's effective, just like the case of this pledge, which is very different than our Mishnah, where the, where the husband over there just says her future earnings, which she has no control, which uh, he, uh, which is light bala oilam at all, with the, with the excess, which is only after... <sighs> He didn't give the stipend. It's only after she dies. He has no control over it today whatsoever. That's a real But in the case of the woman, um, it's because the hands that can do the earning are here and she's the one who's making the vow. It's similar to the case of a pledge where partly belongs to the, the borrower still and he could make a vow for the future. When I redeem it, I want to become hungry. So I'm still not happy, satisfied with that comparison. 
This borrower, as soon as he has the money to repay the loan, he can go to the lender and say, here's your $100,000, I owe you, give it back my property. So he still has control. On the other hand, in the case of the woman, she has no control. She can't tell her husband, you have to divorce me, it's not up to her. Totally not up to her. And therefore she has no control so how can she make a vow today? How can Shmuel say, I follow Yechem Nuri, that even though it's it's effective. Says Gemara, there in the case of the pledge, she has control. Here she has zero control to the world. Says the Gemara, if you want to compare it, I'll tell you what we can compare it to. Compare it to the following case. Someone tells his friend, I gave, I'm giving you this pledge for 30 years. It's called in the Gemara, and we'll learn in Ezra Neshech, and I'm giving you a pledge for 10 years, and then I'm going to take it back. So right now I have no control. I can't come over to you in the middle of the 10 years and say, here's the money and give it back to me. Because that was that arrangement. The arrangement is you're going to have it for 10 years. But then I'm saying, when I redeem it, I want to become Kaidish. So right now I have zero control. And yet um, the law is when he takes it back, it becomes Kaidish. It's the same little woman. She's, you're right. She has no control right now. But yet, just like over there, it, it's effective, her vow, uh, the vow there about the future to make it, to consecrate it. Same thing here. So he says, um, So this field, I gave you a mask in for 10 years. When I redeem for you, the Kaddish, you become holy. The culture, the rulers, it becomes Kaddish. So that's why we explain why this is different, why Shmuel would, even though generally speaking, you cannot make it hegdish, but here it's different because she has, she has her, the hands are here, and even though she's not really in control, she still has some, she, it's her hands. Just like a pledge where the field is still essentially yours, even though you have no control, and you can make it hegdish for the future. Says, I'm still not satisfied. I still don't understand. Me dummy, how can you compare how some less over there, at least the end of 10 years, he can get the field back. So therefore, therefore, at least in the future, he's guaranteed to be in control. He's not in control today, but definitely be in control tomorrow. Here she's never in control. She can never force the husband to divorce her. So one second, because she's never in control, so right now it's completely over there because he's in control at least in 10 years when I get the field back. So you can never say that he's it's completely. There's still a partial... He has today a right. He has today ownership that in ten years will take will, will eventuate. She has zero. She know she know, she has no idea if she'll ever ever have the right to own her own earnings. If the yeah. husband doesn't divorce her, she never has it. So therefore, how can her vow be effective for the future? Hey, great question. What he says um, uh, after ten years. Uh, after ten years, if then I'm in the culture. So that means in culture, I mean, it becomes sanctified when? From that date or, or from the... No, the, when he gets it back. Only when he gets years. control. When he so regains so control, he doesn't get it. He goes straight to Hegdish. Right. So, okay. Because there's also it's also not in his hands because he might die tomorrow. Oh, then it's children. It doesn't matter who it is. It, it, whoever it ends up with it, yeah, it's the same story. The children have to, have to abide by it. It, fall, it falls on the estate itself. And he has some connection to it still because he'll definitely get it in the future. So it's really, it's already a floating ownership. But you don't, but she has zero ownership because it could be she'll never be divorced. 
and, and she can't in any way force that situation. Okay, says so further. So you see how we're going through the generations trying to work it out. Finally, we come to the final generation of the Gemara Ravashi. And Ravashi says, I'll, give, I'll, I'll explain to you why the case of the woman with a vow is different. You're talking, you're trying to compare our Mishnah where the husband says, I want to make it hegdish, which is for everybody, to compare it to Kunmas, where she makes a vow to the husband. I don't want you to have any relationship. Kunmas is different. Why? The Gdushas. There's two kinds of sanctifications, one of consecrations. One is called we had this in Sochem. One is called Kedushas Haguf, and one is called Kedushas Dami. Kedushas Dami is where you say, I want the value of this animal to be Kedush. So the animal itself is not a carbon. You sell the animal and with the money, you do donate that to the base of Mikdush. That's called Kedushas Dami. So the animal itself essentially is not whole. Kedushas Haguf is where you say, I want this animal to become Kaidish. That's called Kedushas Haguf. When it comes to Kunmas, when you make a vow and use the word Kainim, you're saying, I want it to be like a carbon. So what are you saying? I want that this itself should become holy. And what happens is when you say that this itself should become holy, it completely unravels any other connections, any other liens and encumbrances that are on this, are all disappear. Because you now made this essence. When you have an encumbrance on something, it's not the thing itself, it's the value of the item. I have a lien on this property. It's not the property itself, it's the value of the property. But when you make it Kedushas Haguf, you say that, but this property now itself became holy. So as a result of that, whatever other encumbrances they're there, they all disappear. And therefore, when she goes ahead and says, um, uh, what do you call it? Kunmus. So therefore, it, it, it's so holy it becomes that it will take effect in the future. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so why? Because it, it as Gemara explains, kumus uh, garment, shiny kumus, is different. The you're making the goof itself holy. like Rava, the Amar Rava, Rava said, Hegdish, if somebody decides to consecrate something, make it Hegdish, and or um, or let's say chametz, or let's say, um, for example, you just <coughs> um, you you said to this lender, this animal here is going to where I'm going to pay you this animal if I don't have money. You're going to have this animal, and then sometime during the loan, I turn around and I say this animal shall become a carbon chatz, become a carbon oil. You made the animal itself holy. What happens is the malva, the lender, no longer has any rights to collect from this animal because now that I made the animal in essence holy. It completely removes, it severs all other encumbrances, and there's nothing else tied in. And therefore, the lender has to collect his loan from somewhere else. <clears throat> okay. And I, so maybe it's like stealing. You're stealing it from the lender. You told the lender, I'm giving you this animal. It's not stealing because as long as the lender didn't collect it yet, it never really became the lender's. It's merely a lien on the animal. And now that I made animal holy, that disappears. And the same thing with chametz. What do you mean by chametz? Let's say you told uh, you told someone uh, a goy that you're gonna if I don't pay you you're gonna the lien is gonna be on all the whiskey that I had. Comes Pesach, you didn't pay him or the loan isn't due. The iser of chametz comes and completely takes away the shibud of the goy. So now we will treat this whiskey as chametz over all of Pesach. It's we don't say oh, the goy's chametz and therefore it doesn't matter. No, it's chametz over Pesach and you now have any hanor from it whatsoever. 
we had the Arab Sachim that if you took the whisk and you actually placed it in the guy's house, even though it was only security, that's different. But as long as it's sitting in your house, Chamas came along and unraveled the, the, the this shibud that you gave to the guy. And the third example is Shikhr. If you took your servant and you said, I want, you told the lender, you're going to collect your money from the servant if I don't have the money to pay you. And then you set this uh, servant free, the lender can no longer go to the servant, hey, you belong to me. Doesn't work that way. And um, and you'll have to collect the money from elsewhere. So what should it, therefore we're saying, because it's so powerful, because it's so powerful, this woman, therefore, if she goes ahead and says that I am claiming um, that my work after um, after we get divorced should become holy, her hands itself become um, become kaidish, and therefore it's uh, it works. It's mafkia the shiba of the husband, and it works. Says the Gemara. But when does it take effect? Only after she's divorced. But the obvious question is, if you're telling me that Hegdish is so powerful that it completely undoes any other encumbrances, so it should become Kaidish today. Why only after she's divorced? Because right now it belongs to the husband. But you just said that there's a lender there and you do this Hegdish thing, it completely unravels it. So why doesn't it unravel with the husband? Why wait until she gets divorced today? Everything that she hears should become Kaidish. Says the Gemara. If so, the Nikdish Mahashta, why don't we say it becomes Kaidish from today? The rabbis came along and decided that the connection between her and the husband should be very, because of shalom bias, that, you know, you want her, him to provide for her and everything else. They decided to strengthen his, to reinforce his, um, the, the obligations they have to each other. And this obligation of her to him, that their earnings go to him. To the extent that it does not become Kodesh from today, only when she gets divorced. But on the other hand, it's not completely to say that she's not in control, and therefore there is, it's not really her nether is chal, but not today, tomorrow, when she is divorced, if she gets divorced, because today the rabbi came along and gave that extra enforcement that you cannot undo the husband. Actually, it's quite complicated, the Gemara. So I hope you all follow. Okay, now we get some easy Gemara. Say the Gemara further. Now, I'm not sure how you're going to repeat this whole Gemara to your wives, but this is what the Gemara says. These are the obligations. So till now, we learned what the husband has to do his wife. He has to provide for her and he has to take her and rent, or, you know, pay her ransom and uh, pay for her burial costs and all that. The following malachis is what a wife is obligated to the husband. That's seven. She has to grind the, the wheat and flour. She has to bake. The laundry. Do the cooking. Manika as she has to nurse her son and not go get a, a wet nurse. We had that a few days ago regarding the different customs. She has to, and in fact, Yerushalmi says, Manika as she has to nurse the child. But if they're twins, you cannot force her to nurse. Matzas Lahamita, she has to make the, the bed. And Vaisibitsema, she has to, this is what we learned before, she has to go ahead and produce the wool, the five slime. If they have a cleaning lady that comes in every day, which, which jobs then does it remove from her? She no longer has to do the very, she doesn't grind, she doesn't bake, and she doesn't wash. Why these particular three, Taizuri says, and other Rishonim? Because these three are the ones that make her not look so pretty, and therefore, and these are more difficult, we, tell, we take it away from her. No more laundry, no more baking. Baking is hard work. And no more grinding. Stein, if you have two cleaning ladies or two maids in the house, 
then ain mivashelis. He no longer has to cook either. The ain manikas bana, nor does she have to nurse her child. You can bring in a wet nurse. Sholish, you have three maids in your house. Then not then what else gets reduced? Ain matzas lahamita. She doesn't have to make the bed anymore. The ain oisibitzeman, nor does she have to do the bare minimum. Basically, she does nothing. Arba, but four, Now she can sit on a stool and do nothing. Now the obvious question is, three already, she's doing nothing. So what, what are we adding by having a fourth maid? How can you do less than nothing? So Rashi already says, in, in, I'm paraphrasing Rashi here, that even though she doesn't have to do these seven major obligations, but still the little things, if he asks her, please go upstairs and get something or other little things she still has to do. But if there are four maids, even that she doesn't have to do. She can sit in the stair and do nothing. That's the first opinion. Comes along Rabbi Lezen says, I disagree. You can have a hundred maids. She still has to do something. Let her still have a little job. Do something. Why? If a woman does nothing, a woman of Lezen does zero, it will lead her astray, and who knows where she'll end up. So therefore, you have to give her some purpose in, in waking up in the mornings, and this is the bare minimum. Rav Shimon ben Gamliel says, if, forget about maids and everything else. If a man says to his wife, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want my wife to do anything. I don't want you to go to work. I don't want you to have a job. I don't want you to do anything at home. I don't want you to knit nothing. He should divorce her and give her and pay her out. Why? If you don't allow your wife to do anything, it will make her crazy. It will make her crazy. A person has to produce. A person has to do something. And if you don't allow her to do anything, it's gonna, it's, it's, it's not going to be healthy for her. And therefore, you have to divorce her. Now, how Rav Shimon is different from Leza, the Gemara will talk about next few days. Okay, Gemara. First thing is the Gemara says She has to stand there and grind. You know how it is. Who you who grinds? We have a mill that basically you know grindstones. She doesn't grind. Gemara says Sagadat. Gemara says you're right. Ela ema mitachenes. She was. She prepares it all in order to put it into the millstone, but she doesn't actually stand there and grind. Or everybody say ma berachai the other. They used to have a hand grinder, and maybe it means with a hand grinder. Says the Gemara. Mas listen. Our Mishnah argues. The like Rabchia. Our Mishnah argues with Rabchia. The Tani Rabchia, Rabchia said, Ain Isha The role of a wife is to be a trophy wife. She should be, she's only there to be beautiful. She doesn't have to lift a finger and do anything. Number one. Number two, the other thing about it is he says, Ain Isha The main purpose of a good wife is someone who raises good kids. Let her spend the time and raising the kids and bringing kids into the world and so on. And the turn of Chia and Chia goes further to say of Chia, ain't Isha Elo Tachshiti Isha. The only thing that a, wo a woman has to pursue is make sure she has nice clothes and nice jewelry. And it continues. The turn of Chia, Haroitza Shiyad Nisha. If you want your wife to look beautiful, Yalvishana Klepishan, give her linen to wear. Haroitza Shiyad, when it's bitter, you want your daughter to look beautiful as well, to look like, you know, to glisten. Yachilena Efreichim, give her to eat chicken. Give it to drink a lot of milk. Some of the perk right before puberty. Now, this, the same Gemara Rabchia in Yevamas we had. If you remember, Rab had a difficult time with his wife. Because whatever he asked her to make for supper, she would always make the opposite. And Rabchia, his uncle, had to say a similar problem. 
But yet Rabbi Chi was such a mensch that every time he traveled abroad, he would come back and bring a present to his wife. Rabbi Grohl told us that every time he traveled overseas and he spoke to Baba Chereba, Baba Chereba reminded him that he must bring back a present to his wife. So he must always, so Rabbi Chia used to bring back a, a present to his wife. And, and Rav said to his uncle, she gives you such a hard time. She drives you bananas. Why are you so nice to her? You go and buy it and then wrap it up, not just buy something. You wrap it up and with all the love and affection. So he said, because a dial Isha, it's enough for her that what? That she raises the children, brings up the children, that's it. So that's, but that argues our Mishnah, because our Mishnah says there are obligations that a wife has to her husband, and some of them actually will uh, will affect her, her looks. And Abkhia says, no, let it look beautiful. Says the Gemara. She nurses the, uh, the son. Even though she refuses, the husband can force her to nurse the son because obviously it's much healthier and better. Says the Gemara, Our Mishnah does not conform with Beishame. I'm not exactly sure what the Gemara's question is because we had a million times that Beishame is not really a Mishnah. So what does it matter if the Mishnah does conform with Beishame or does not? But for whatever reason, here the Gemara decided there might be a problem. Our Mishnah does, is not that it, it does not have a consensus because Vishamai doesn't agree. What's the story of Vishamai? The Tani we learned, let's say Nidr, she made a nedesh, she made a nedesh, I will not nurse. I don't want to nurse. Painful, whatever. I don't want to nurse. Vishamai says, Shemetes dod mepiv. The nedesh is a valid nedesh and you remove them and you don't allow the child to, uh, to nurse from his mother. So in other words, Bishami holds that it's not an obligation for a woman to nurse the child. Not like our mission that says clearly that there is such an obligation. Basil says, Basil says, no, it doesn't matter if it has a vow or not a vow. You can force her to go ahead and nurse the child because she, the vow is not really a valid vow because it's an obligation that she has. These Garsha, what happens? She's divorced. She was divorced. Now, big argument whether she did, are we talking about a case where she made a vow, or even if she didn't make a vow, but she's divorced, and she is not comfortable for whatever reason, she doesn't want to nurse her child. What happens then? It's his child and her child as well. What happens then? Enu Kaifa. You cannot uh, force her any longer to go ahead and nurse. She no longer has any obligations to him. It's up to her. V'im haya makira, but if the child already recognizes the mother and doesn't really want to nurse from anybody else, then we can force the mother to You can force her to nurse, but you have to pay her for her time or for the effort, or especially if it's painful for her, you have to pay her. So what right do we have to force her? Because the child's life is in danger, especially if there was no, um, if the child's not comfortable to go anywhere else, the child's life is in danger. They didn't have formulas in those days for little if, if the child's life is in danger, does the wish have to tell us she can force her? It's pretty obvious. What do you mean? You can give it to wet nurse. Oh, okay. And then, you know, and then whatever, try to work something out. Try to work it out. But um, we're saying that it's difficult with a wet nurse and it's much easier to work, go with a mother. So in that case, we're not talking about, I, I guess, that there's no alternative, because then you're right. Um, says the Gemara. So what is he clear from here? That Beisham is of the opinion that her vow is a valid vow. She has no obligation to nurse the child. Not like our Mishnah. Says the Gemara to try to work it out. I feel how you tame Beisham. We can make it work like Beisham as well. Hachamai's kid, we're talking about over here, Kigoyin Shinodrihi. We had this Gemara before as well. In the case where she makes a vow and he supports her, who is the one that's, who is then the primary, I guess, or who's the most culpable there? Or who's the primary uh, person who makes the vow? 
The one who made she made a vow, but the vow itself doesn't doesn't really stand unless he even if he's quiet, he has to you know he has to support her or at least not to uh, contest it. So who is actually the main culprit here, her or him? In fact, the Evan Ezra writes a Chumash Parshas Kedoshim that the one who fences stolen goods is worse than the Ganef itself, because the Ganef would never have stolen if it wouldn't have been yeah. for the fencing. Same thing here. She can make the nether, she did the action, but with, but it's meaningless unless he supports it. And that's the argument here. Talking about a case here where she made a nether, I don't want to a nurse, and he didn't object to it. So Bishame holds, Bishame, who knows it It's as if he made the nether, so what right does he have to make her? It's different than our mission. Our mission is a normal case, she has obligations, but the case that we're talking about here is where she made the vow and the husband uh, accepted it. So Bishamai says, as if he made the vow, what, what right does he have to come to her and say, I want you to go ahead and nurse the child? But Basil holds, he knows the Ezra even though he agreed with it, she's the fact is that she made the vow and therefore she has an obligation to nurse the child and the vow is, is, is negated. Says the Gemara, if so, the Niflaga. What then? Why talk about a specific case? We're talking about a general case now where he makes a, she makes the vow and he supports it. And the question is, so who is who do we consider here as if he made the vow? And why talk about a specific case about nursing? Just talk about generally uh, that uh, she made a vow. I have nothing to do with him. And, and he supports it. So the question is, now they have to divorce because if you made a vow, you have nothing to do with him. I don't have any benefit. How can you live together? But does she receive a ksuva or not? If she made the vow, she forfeits a ksuva. If he made the vow, then he has to pay her out. But in this case, she made the vow, but he supports it. So how do we can treat that? So the, let's just argue that. It's the same question. Is that as if she made the vow as if he made the vow? That's question number one. But furthermore, Tanya will let the Bryce clearly, Bishamai says, that even without a vow, the Shammai says, Ain't a manika. She doesn't have to, uh, if she refuses to nurse, she doesn't have to. Clearly, not like our Mishnah. Somebody says, You're right. It's much clearer. We will go back to our original statement. Our Mishnah does not conform with Beish Shammai. Okay, we'll stop over here. Everyone have a good book.